happy place. Hello and welcome to Funny Books with Aaron, Polly, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Well, well it has been a, it has been a while. It has been a while, my friends. I I, I have uh, have uh, been traveling the the roads of of Texas during the the, the week of Thanksgiving and. The, and uh, Skype improved my experience such that I couldn't record last week, but we're back. Woo! Woo! Very exciting. Woo. And I've got, before we do anything else, before we move into our comic book agenda, uh-huh. I want to say one thing. Tim, you called me out last week. You called me out and said, if Aaron watches Deadpool, I'll watch Doctor Strange. Well, I'm calling you out, Tim. I watched Deadpool. I watched it twice. How many times are you going to watch Doctor Strange, punk? <laughs> bitch ass. Uh, yeah, bitch ass. So, Aaron, did you love it as much as the rest of us did? I don't, wouldn't characterize that I loved it. Uh, I liked it very much. Um, I think that it is a uh, a good show. Uh, I thought it was well produced, and I think perfect for the character. Tim Miller was perfect for the director, and I'm very concerned that Tim Miller is off for the uh, uh, sequel. I, I, I'm very worried about that because I thought that he had a, a good hand on that wheel. Uh, but no, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. I thought it was better than almost any of the X-Men films. See, yeah. I hear that he was the one that wanted for the next one to make it more of a big budget, like X-Men type movie. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's off is that, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds wanted to keep it small, low budget and funny. I don't know. I don't know any of the details. I just, it just when you've got the uh, successful formula, it worries me when someone comes out with their new Coke. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I just it just worries me. But, you know, hopefully all will be well, because I, I just I think Ryan Reynolds, you know, is such a smart ass and he leans hard into that sort of character. And I, thought, I think that he has a good feel for who Deadpool is. I'm a guy who doesn't much care for the Deadpool character in the comics. I, I have read very few Deadpool comics that I enjoy, um, but I thought that th- this was a, a very enjoyable movie. It's something that that I won't turn off if it you know shows up on cable. Um, you know, I and, and again, I liked it better than most of the. So Tim, it's on you now, punk. Punk. Yeah. <laughs> So, before, so well, Aaron, I'm going to yeah, okay, cut you whoa, off. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm cutting whoa. you off. Fine, fine. You, you've said your piece. Okay, what ebbs? Just like the bartender, <laughs> Paul is you cutting off. you off. You know, that didn't normally happen. Yeah, Aaron just I'm goes sorry. home and drinks. So You see that You see that on TV and movies? That, uh, that I, I've never had that happen. Really, I, I have. Call, I've had them call the police, <laughs> but I, I've never had them cut me off. <laughs> Well, I want to tell Wayne about a Christmas miracle. A Christmas miracle. Oh, so on kids t- get kids gather around the the iPod. We're gonna hear a Christmas story. <laughs> well, it has been announced. DC Comics has announced that Batgirl Stephanie Brown Volume One will be coming out next year, uh, collecting issues one through thirteen of Batgirl, uh, featuring Stephanie Brown. And I know Wayne loves Stephanie Brown. Probably owns all those books digitally already. But just so you know. DC hasn't completely forsaken Stephanie Brown. Did they never release those as a trade? Apparently not. I didn't realize that because I do have all those books, you know, digitally. DC is not as uh, is is not as as productive as Marvel is because you know Marvel will will churn out a a volume for almost anything. Yeah, well, but, uh, but, I think but DC doesn't. I think DC does now. 
like with the new 52, they definitely did all of those. Sure. Yeah, but that was right pre-Flashpoint, I think, that Stephanie Brown, yeah, Batgirl stuff. Right. Yeah, and then a lot of that stuff that was right in that space uh, prior to Flashpoint uh, did not find a place in, in a trade paperback. So there, there's still there's still a lot of material there. Well, Wayne, even though you already own the books, should you want to re-own them? Even though you don't <laughs> read comics on paper anymore. Should anyone out there other than Wayne love Stephanie Brown? There you go. Oh, Prince I is dead, Paul. I still read trades. I, I don't tell you. <laughs> this is the only thing physical I read is a trade, but I am more likely to read it even trades on digital. So, you know, I, I hate to, to run us down the rabbit hole, uh-huh. but this is something I've been struggling with lately. Um, you know, Paul, you and I have had conversations previously on the podcast about how we're, we're moving away from our floppies, right? And and culling our collections down to, to just those, those print copies that made some some uh, meaning to us or things that weren't available digitally and you know really reducing our, our the collections that we've had over the years um, and so I did that you know I'm, I'm down to a very manageable size of, of uh, floppies in my collection but now I'm really eyeballing my trade paperbacks and you know I'm looking at things like eh you know I've got I've got that digitally I could save the shelf space it this isn't this is more of a paperback book versus something that's a prestige hardback you know with additional back matter that kind of thing so now I'm really starting to scrutinize that trade paperback collection are are you having that same sort of dilemma Absolutely I wouldn't even call it a dilemma I think it's pretty po- I think I'm pretty positive that I'm going to tr- get rid of all these trade paperbacks within the next couple of months um really at, at most of them I should say Yeah um because even the absolute editions, as much as I love them for being pretty shelf books, I mm-hmm. I literally cracked them open the first time I got them and never again. Um, you know, and and I'm I think I'm I'm past the point of owning a book just to own a book. Right. And uh, so I mean, as as pretty as some of these look on the shelf, like I'm never gonna sit down and read the Absolute Dark Knight. It's just you can't read a book in an absolute edition format. They are. I mean, unless you're gonna sit at a table. Uh, they are too big. You know, that's why I don't like absolutes or omnibuses because they're too big to read. I, uh, I'm really, I've, I've got tons and tons of trade paperbacks and I'm, I'm just like, man, I'm, I haven't, I can tell you, I have not cracked open a trade pa- paperback in probably two years. And I'm like, this is ta- occupying a tremendous amount of shelf space in my man cave and it would free up a ton of space. And I'm just – there's a part of me that's like, I really don't want to let them go. But on the other hand, I'm not looking at them. I probably should release them back into the wild. Yeah. I mean that's my thinking too. And Amazon has a pretty decent trade-in program. So I'm going to see – I mean, yes, you could just donate them to charity or whatever. But I mean right. I, I may just see what I can get for them on Amazon and you know, ship them there, that kind of thing. I mean th- I'll be lucky to get a buck or two per trade paperback. But I'm not so, really worried about the money as much as I am the shelf space. You know, I, I will say I, my my inclination is to give them away in chunks on the website, right? Oh. You know, give, give them away to our listeners. That's my inclination. However, I will say this right now. We don't typically get much traffic on those kind of giveaways. And so I'm going to say this. If this is something you're interested in, in us giving away and Aaron giving away, you know, chunks of his trade paperback collection, leave a comment in the show notes. Because I, I'm only going to do it if, if people are genuinely interested in it. Uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm going to either donate them or, or sell them to a half-price bookstore or something. But uh, let us know. If that's something you're interested in, I, I, that is something I can make happen. Um, so let me know. 
So, and now we return you to our regularly scheduled podcast. Yeah. So, Aaron. Yes. Let's talk about this uh, this first item on our list. <laughs> the so I wake up. Let me say this: every corner of of media has its own geeks. You know, we we are comic book geeks and science fiction geeks. We're Star Trek geeks, Star Wars geeks, horror geeks, video game geeks. I mean, we 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 are we occupy a a, a large niche in geek community, but every corner of media has its own geeks. There are NASCAR geeks, right? Uh, there are Gilmore Girls geeks. I happen to be married to one. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, wondering how this even made it as a topic. I The Gilmore Girls revival on Netflix dropped the Friday after Thanksgiving at like 4 o'clock in the morning, right? I roll over in bed at 5 a.m. and my wife is gone. I get up at 7, come walking into the into the den, you know, with my cup of coffee, and she has already finished the first movie and a half of the four-movie uh, event the, of the Gilmore Girls revival and is prepared to put on the first movie again and, and provide to me her director's commentary. <laughs> and I look at her and I'm like... Nerd. <laughs> I uh, I said, you know, this is why I have a podcast. You need to go do something. <laughs> this is your geek, not my geek. <laughs> you need to go talk to your own people. <sighs> so yeah. So these are just to clarify. These are movies. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the Gilmore Girls ran for, I want to say, seven seasons on the WBCW, whatever the hell it was called back then. Yeah. And so 10 years later, uh, because the show has gained so much popularity on Netflix through streaming, um, they did four new movies, and they're all approximately 90 minutes, um, and dropped them all at the same time on uh, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a I thing. have zero interest in Gilmore Girls. I think oh. it's really cool that things like this are happening, though. That well, these I, yeah. niche shows that people liked get a chance to come back. Well, you know, it's that whole streaming thing. The way the way we consume our media has uh, very much changed just in the last five years. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that the the actors on the show and the writers and directors, etc., you know, never imagined a scenario where a they'd come back to reprise uh you know these characters uh nor that it would be in a format where people are downloading it versus you know renting the video or watching it on broadcast television uh it's a very different world and you know uh you know keep in mind netflix was trying to get the rights to star trek years ago before cbs decided to do their thing you know, for for their own streaming channel because Star Trek is doing so well on Netflix. I mean, all Netflix does is take a look. Hmm, what do people really like? What are they downloading over and over and over again? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm sure that if they could, they would do a Frasier uh, revival. Yeah, because <laughs> Frasier are the biggest shows that down that streams on Netflix. And I mean, that's why we're getting Young Justice. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and here's the thing. I'm not going to judge anyone for Gilmore Girls. I've never seen it. Uh -huh. I don't have a ton of interest in it, but I hear it's a quality show. It's got, oh, hey, here's the good here's here's the good news about it. Lauren Graham, easy on the eyes. Yes, very much so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but I will judge people who are looking forward to Fuller House season two coming next week. <laughs> I don't know how it got a season two in the same was, year. <laughs> here's the thing that I find amazing. I listened to John Stamos uh, being interviewed by, uh, uh, oh gosh, on the Nerdist, you know, uh, the, the, the Hardwick, uh, yeah, Chris uh, Hardwick podcast. Yeah. Thank Chris Hardwick. Um, and he's the guy who brought that to Netflix. Yeah. Nobody else wanted it in broadcast television. And it was the biggest show on the most watched show, not just on Netflix last year, but on television in general. I mean, that's crazy. I feel that's like crazy. I want to say, I mean, I feel like this says something good. about humanity. <laughs> well, I, I think what it says is, you know, nostalgia moves in cycles, right? Yes. And it, it, he is right at that perfect time. For the kids who watch that on whatever they used to call that on on uh, the the right. ABC, TGIF. TGIF. yeah TGIF the Friday Night Block, you know he's right in that zone where those those guys have kids of their own now and they want to share it with their kids. Yeah, because I'll tell you when they announced it, I was excited. I had fond memories because I hadn't gone back and watched any of it again, of watching that as a kid, and yeah. then I did watch the beginning of it. You know, and gave it a shot. It was just a horrible show. Right. Well, and I feel like some shows that never got a proper ending, you know, could possibly find one on Netflix. Uh, sure. as, as long as there's, you know, a, as long as there are people still watching it. I mean, some of these things were truly cult classics and, you know, there there isn't enough um, audience there to support it. I'm, I'm looking at you, Firefly. But... <laughs> You know, there are some shows that just, you know, didn't necessarily end the way that was intended. Uh, for example, Twin Peaks, that's coming, but that's coming back to Showtime. But things like that, you know, I, I think The uh, Young Justice, for example, which the ratings were fine, just, you know, the toy sales weren't there. So I, I wonder what will be next. You know, we're, we're getting a lot of revamps and, and re you know, um, sequels and things like that on television lately. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead in our outline, Aaron, because it's kind of appropriate to talk about this now, which is The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. Should we put a spoiler warning on? I mean, it's we're eight yeah, episodes I think, in. I think we have to spoil the shit out of it. So if you if you don't want to be spoiled on Fox Television's The Exorcist, Skip ahead about 10 minutes. Yeah. And I will say, if you haven't been watching it, but you have a mild interest in it, skip the next 10 minutes because yeah. the spoilers that we're going to talk about are big spoilers. Yeah, are they are. They're, they're huge. They're huge. So skip ahead now. OK, so I was concerned when they announced The Exorcist at the beginning of the season. Um, I was like, eh, you know, how are they going to do this in a TV show? Is it going to turn into Supernatural where it's spook of the week and, you know, it's more of an action-adventure hour than it is an actual horror show? And I got to tell you, they have delivered on the horror. Yes. Uh, and, and I mean, as much as you can, they have kept it realistic. They have kept it in the spirit of the uh, of the movie and of the of the uh, original book by uh, uh, by William Peter Blatty, uh, it seemed that it was very disconnected from the original novel and the original film. Um, it seemed like it was more a spiritual sequel when the when it right. first started. Yeah, nice use of the word spiritual. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it did. It's it seemed like you know it's in the vein 
of the exorcist. It's in the theme of the exorcist, um, you know, because you do have the young priest and the older priest, um, you know, you, there were elements there and you're like, okay, I guess I can see it. Not nearly as satisfying, but okay. Uh, the show starts around uh, this woman's daughter who is showing signs of possession. <clears throat> but there's something creepy going on in that house beyond that girl. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, part of the part of the unease, the 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 uncomfortableness in that house is the husband is recovering from a traumatic brain injury. And so he's not all there, right? And there's just there's something there 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 are times where he feels alien, where he seems apart. Yeah. Um, the the other sister, you know, the, the 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 other girl in the house. There's some stuff going on with her, some drama that we find out later on that she was involved in a car crash that killed a friend. Um, and then the mom. There are moments where the mom seems a little off. So everybody in the household's got something kind of weird going on. Yeah. And I remember watching that first episode. It was a really creepy first episode. Uh, and I was like, oh, there's no way they can maintain this. Um, you've got the priest, uh, the, the, the family priest, who uh, is having trouble separating his role of priest versus uh, his desire to be a man uh, with a woman who's been special with him. Um, and so you've got that drama going on. And then you've got this this older priest who is not like Max von Sydow old. He's just older, uh, probably in his uh, 40s or 50s. And he is a a world-traveling exorcist. He is like the exorcist. Um, and he is the guy who has been raised from birth uh, to do this kind of, of business. And, you know, we see one exorcism in which the the boy who is possessed doesn't survive. In fact, the demon kills the boy, breaks its, his neck right in the middle of the exorcism. Uh, so, you know, he's he's got his own baggage and he's kind of quit the game because he failed that kid. And this this is setting up all the pieces, right? Mm -hmm. So, Paul, take it from there. So, you know, the the end of the first episode reveals that the mother was concerned about one one daughter, but it's the again, spoilers. It's the other daughter who turns out to be the possessed one, the one who seemed right. to be healthy and fine. Right. Um, and as and I, I will say one thing that I've enjoyed about The Exorcist that, you know, I, I've said this about other shows like Jessica Jones and and some of these other shows that are still short, 10 to 13 episodes, but still feel like they're not tight enough that they still have filler episodes. Um, I have not felt that way about The Exorcist. The Exorcist is right. 10 episodes, and it feels like tight storytelling. It doesn't feel like we're getting redundant or repetitive. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of fluff. It feels like the story is continuously moving forward um, in such a way that around the midway point, a huge bomb is dropped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in that it's revealed that Gina Davis's character, who is the mother of the story. Stop, it, stop, stop. Yes. Before you get there, there is some additional pressure going on in the uh in the story in that uh the, the the story is set in chicago yes and the pope is coming oh yeah yeah and 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 they're preparing for this big papal visit so you've got all of these church organizations and business organizations all all working uh, to prepare for the papal visit it's a big damn deal well there has also been uh some murders in uh uh this black community, all these uh, African-American folks were murdered, chopped up, organs stolen. 
and you know the folks who are who are uh, in the Catholic Church who perform exorcisms are like, hey, you know, this looks like this weird ritual that we've seen before that you know used to summon demons. And so there's this big concern, you know, if we got something funky like this going on, maybe the Pope doesn't need to come to town. So you've got all this this pressure going on in the back background. And you've got some folks who look like, you know, are they involved in a secret cabal? And right around the same time we find out about what Paul's about to tell us, we find out that there is a secret cabal cabal going on and it very much like almost like a rosemary's baby kind of thing where everybody's kind of in on the shit yeah. except our our cast of, of heroes continue paul <laughs> and so right around that time it is also revealed that there is in fact a connection with the original exorcist films um and it's it's more than just a connection uh gina davis's character is actually regan mcneil from- and and i i watched paul was behind yeah. And they reveal it that she she was Regan McNeil, you know, the, the girl from uh, the original Exorcist film uh, who was, you know, uh, exercised, you know, possessed, exercised and, and moved on with her life. Linda Blair. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Linda Blair. And uh, I mean, I, I watched it and went, holy fuck. And I'm texting Paul. You have got to watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I mean, this is right down Paul's. Yeah, that kind of changes everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, of course, she's told no one. Her husband doesn't know. Her children don't know. She's been in hiding from her mother. So, yeah, her her mother shows up at the door and she's like, you know, I'm Chris McNeil. You know, uh, I'm looking for my daughter, Regan. You know, it's just super, super well done. There was they showed their hand not at all in this entire production. So did she change her name? Yes. Yeah. Okay. She sure did. Yeah. I mean, it was it was wild, and I mean the the whole thing just keeps every episode after that. You're just I I have some holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, the the twists and turns that occur, um, and the way the stakes keep amplifying episode to episode to episode all the way through the through the end of of this part of the story has just been amazing. Mm-hmm. I I cannot begin to express how happy I am about The Exorcist. Same here. And there are only two more episodes. Um, it was on a short hiatus, I guess, through the holiday and, and yeah. uh, other things going on. So it comes back next week for the final two episodes. Um, like I said, 10 episodes total. And uh, I'm, I'm, it is must watch. TV. It is probably my favorite show on television right now. I would I would say the exact same thing. But I will tell you, it is emotionally draining watching the show because I get so tense watching it. Because mm-hmm. number one, devil movies and devil stories are are is the type of horror that creeps me out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, beyond that, it is shot so well. There is this one scene where uh, the older priest is attempting to exercise uh, the girl. And he, she is in uh, the lake. You know, they're they're wrestling and fighting, and and he's he's got he, he essentially uh, uh, blesses the water as if the entire lake becomes holy water. And the special effects in that scene are amazing. I I, I was just so impressed with the power of that scene. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's it is absolutely a fantastic series. It's extremely yeah. well done, extremely well acted. Um, so. You know, Admission time. Even though I like horror, I've never actually seen The Exorcist. Oh, it's so good. Well, you know what? 
I, I it's did even based. Okay. It's even based on a story from my own city here, but right, yeah. right. I've never seen it. Well, you know what's funny? I had not seen The Exorcist um, until they re-released it. I believe back in the nineties. Uh huh. Um, yeah, well, no, they, it did, was in the two thousands. I think two thousand. They did a big cleanup of it. Yeah, and, uh, and remastered they, the footage. Yeah, it was like the 25th anniversary or something like that, and they added the spider walk scene that now has become iconic that was not in the original mm-hmm. film. Um, and I did not see it until then. And it is it is genuinely one of the scariest films I've ever seen, if not the scariest. Well, yeah, it's it, it holds the fuck up. I mean, yeah. there are... And you know what? what there are scenes that stay with you um, when... There are when you have the these these cut images that are that are jumped in. It's almost like it's it's meant to be subliminal. Yeah. Uh, where it's just a just a half image on the screen of the demonic face over the girls. Those I mean they're just so damn creepy. I've seen it, uh, it when it was in re-release in theaters. Yeah. Uh, I saw it there and that and I and I own it on on uh, DVD, and it is just the creepiest damn movie. And, you know, even though many films have been derivative of it since, I mean, we've gotten exorcist films, we get exorcist type films all the time. Um, it The original still holds up, even though you've yeah. seen everything in it imitated, right. not, it, it still doesn't hold um, the same weight that it does in that original exorcist. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering when, because I will eventually see it. I'll probably do it soon. Uh, but I'm wondering what it'll be like for me knowing the original story, like not the book, but the actual events. Right. Because I've read up a lot on them, especially because, like I said, this was a local St. Louis event that it's based off of. And I'm sure the movie is probably nothing like the actual events. But yeah, I also recommend the novel. The novel is is super good, Wayne. Yes, it is. I haven't read it in years, but it's very good. And because I know you're an audiobook guy, there is there is a really good audiobook of it on Audible. Nice. So I'll add that to my wish list. There you go. So. In other reboot news, and I'm jumping around this outline because I don't. Yeah, I'm just doing yeah. it. Yeah, because you're crazy, crazy. You know, you mentioned earlier that Netflix really tried to get Star Trek. It fell through. Well, when that fell through, they instead pursued a reboot of Lost in Space, which was uh, the direct competitor to Star Trek mm-hmm. back in the day. And it will be coming in 2018 from Netflix. Um, and the cast uh, is is just starting to form right now, including Parker Posey. Who has been cast to play Doctor Smith? Uh-huh. Um, they they have gender bended Doctor Smith in the in the reboot, and now Parker I, Posey will be playing the character. I don't understand. Uh, you know, Doctor Doctor Smith was a doctor. How does that work? I, I... one of these. Well, now now it's a lady doctor. <laughs> I I don't, I don't understand. What what do you mean? <laughs> Women can't be doctors, Paul. Come on. What? Well, it's science fiction, Aaron. <laughs> oh, fair point. Fair point. Uh, sorry. Uh, no, I, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, Beverly I, Crusher was a doctor. Science fiction. Yeah, exactly. Fair point. Fair point. I, uh, I actually... Lost in Space is more of an action adventure hour than it is a science fiction show. True. Uh, I... I I really enjoy Lost in Space. There's so much about that show that I like. I, I like the earlier stuff better than I like the later stuff. Uh, but I, I, I actually really liked that Lost in Space movie that came out. I, I found that movie very entertaining. The one with Gary Oldman? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it in forever. It. Yeah, so I you know I watched it, but I don't remember my opinion of it. I uh, I think they made some mistakes. Uh, m- most specifically, they did not bring... Uh, uh, 
Oh, shoot. Uh, Will Robinson, the, the actor. Bill um, thank you. Billy Mummy. Uh, there's no reason in the world why you wouldn't bring Billy Mummy back to play the older version because there was a time travel component where you had, you know, old Will Robinson versus young Will Robinson and why they hired this other actor when Billy Mummy is an actor and a writer and actually fairly good at both. Why you wouldn't have involved him. Yeah. That, that's where I felt like the, the movie lost. But I, but I loved the art direction on that film. I liked the way the ship looked. I liked the way the spacesuits looked. I liked uh, 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 William Hurt in the role as uh, Professor Robinson. Uh, even liked uh, Joey from Friends. <laughs> in, you know, in the role as uh, Major. Can't remember the Major's last name. Major West. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen William Hurt in a role that I didn't think he just nailed it on. Yeah, I, I just I really like that movie. I own that movie on DVD. Uh, it's a fun film. You know, I, I just there are some things where I'm like, oh, you could have done this better. And it also didn't need to have all the CG that it had. Yeah. But I thought that was fun. So I'm looking forward to this. I've always liked the premise of Lost in Space. Uh, I remember uh, when the Sci Fi Channel first debuted and they couldn't get Star Trek. Because uh, that's what they really wanted. They felt like if they were going to roll out the Sci-Fi Channel, that the show that they had to have was Star Trek, and they couldn't get the rights to it, so they got Lost in Space, and they ran that on a loop forever. <laughs> and so it was always nice to know, you know, if there's nothing else on TV, I can at least turn on Lost in Space. So I'm looking forward to the reboot. Hmm. Well, I am too. You know, I'm very curious about it. And hell with this outline, because I'm jumping around again. Because we're already talking about Star Trek. You're out of control. You are I out am. of control, Paul. I, I mean, I'm just, I don't even care anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rules be damned. Be damned. It's uh-huh. my outline. I can break it if I want. Cats and dogs sleeping together. <laughs> so it's the we, end times, folks. It, it really is. So we had spoken recently about Brian Fuller leaving the production of... Um, Star Trek Discovery, and I think at the time we spoke, he was still an executive producer. Uh, apparently, now he's not even that; he is completely out um, of doing it. And I'm getting that. I'm getting that. I haven't seen that in a press release. I just see that in like every article I read. Yeah, he's done an he interview like, and said, "Like I wrote the first two episodes, and I'm I'm completely out." Oh, really? He is out. Out. Okay. Yeah, he is out. Out. Okay. okay. Um, but in addition to that, that unfortunate news, they have started announcing some cast members. Um, in- yeah. Go ahead. Well, Michelle Yeoh uh, to be taking the oh, – and I was a little confused about this, Paul, so maybe you can help me out. The articles that I have read show that she is the main character, Captain, whatever her name is, uh, of the USS Discovery. But everything that I have heard up to this point was that the main character was not going to be a captain. She was going to be like a lieutenant commander. That is correct. Um, so she is the, – the main – character is actually number one they have not been that person has not been cast yet but michelle yo is the captain of the ship and michelle yo you might remember from crouching hidden tiger dragon uh and uh see what else has she been in she was in oh she was in uh tomorrow never dies she was was a bond girl yes so those are the two things that i know her from which i haven't seen either really Um, I mean, Michelle Yeoh is a very accomplished actress. I mean, she's been in a number of films. She was in The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which is not an example of of uh, of quality. Uh, right. Of a quality. <laughs> yeah, you're not not silly me with that example, Paul. I, I think my big concern about Michelle Yeoh, and I feel better knowing that she's not the primary character, um, is that I've not seen her have a lot of range. 
right? I mean, she's she's been really good in action films and and whatnot, but uh, you know, and I, and I don't know if it's because it's you know uh, Chinese actress working in an English speaking uh, environment, uh, but I just haven't seen a lot of range from her. Yeah, I, I mean, she always plays the stoic action right. lady. Um, yeah, and I've not seen the range either, but maybe that's the point. You know, she's the stoic yeah, yeah. captain, and the the number one is the most interesting character. Um, now, friend of IOM, Doug Jones, yeah. friend of the podcast. Look at that! Look at that, Doug Jones. Doug Jones from Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. Um, uh-huh. It will be playing Lieutenant Saru, a Starfleet science officer and a new, though unspecified, alien species to the Star Trek universe. Okay, that's exciting to me. Yeah, that is a new exciting. alien species as a crew member. Huge fan of Doug Jones, um, yeah. and super super awesome guy in person. Um, so I'm very excited to see him get you know like regular work. He's not just the uh, you know the monster at the end of the film or in a Guillermo del Toro film. Yeah, he's he's not being voiced by somebody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, being voiced by Niles. Yeah, <laughs> and it all comes back to Frasier. That's right. It's it's all connected. It's all connected. Um, and they also announced that Anthony Rapp, um, best known for originating and later reprising the role of Mark Cohen in the Broadway musical Rent, will play Lieutenant Stamets, a science officer who specializes in astromycology. And he is the the uh, aforementioned gay character. Correct. That will be on the show. So uh, that that be interesting. Well, I'm so glad they get this thing out the door in May. It just because they still don't have everybody. Yeah, they still. And apparently they're still build, they're building sets right now. Um, but yeah. the impression I get is that special effects are already being worked on. You know, the space battles and stuff. I feel like that stuff's already being worked on. And, you know, the, they'll insert the live action footage in between the special effects. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it yeah, definitely just, seems I'm, a bit of a troubled Paul. production. I, I do think that we'll see uh, a bit of a delay even more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but let's talk about comics. Comics? I know, it's a thing. That's kooky. That's kooky talk. <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about a comic that has to do with what we were just talking about, Star Trek. Yep. So, one of the last times we were all on together, Aaron said the magic word. The magic word was Borg. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's all it took for me to buy Star Trek Beyond 1 and 2. Or not beyond. What is what is this one called? Boldly go. Yeah, the magic word Borg. So Wayne jumped in, and he has read both issues one and two. Wayne, tell us what you thought. So the first issue was actually very interesting, seeing where all the characters are, you know, without an Enterprise, and getting used to them, having this mysterious threat throughout the whole issue, not knowing what it was, except I did, because Aaron had already said the magic word. And I'm really – I like – like these characters a lot. I like the movie versions, you know, the JJ Abrams reboot series movie versions a lot. And I think we get to see more interactions and character in the comic than we do in the actual big action movies. So I was really enjoying it. And then it gets to the final, you know, couple pages of that first issue where they reveal that the, uh, the mysterious aliens that are out there that have attacked, you know, was it Sulu ship? Yes. That attack Sulu's ship, left the message, resistance is futile. So, you know, I bought both of them at the same time. So I immediately get to go into the second issue and see, yes, this is the Borg. And 
my thoughts initially are, okay, how are they going to, first of all, how are they going to deal with the Borg? Because a Borg cube shows up, they don't have anywhere near the technology to handle this at this point. And, you know, the Borg show up, why would they show up so early? So those are the big key things I'm looking for in the story. The why they showed up so early seems to be tied in a lot with the the reboot itself. Because uh, while they never talked about it in the movie, the prequel comic explained that Nero's ship had Borg technology on it. That the uh, the Romulans had taken and retrofitted it. And that's one of the reasons the ship was so powerful. Even besides just being from the future, it had Borg technology. So them coming back, I kind of get the impression that they realized that their technology signature was there. They haven't actually said that, but I'm kind of getting that impression. And of course, it's not a big Borg cube. It's one of the small spheres, so they can make it, you know, realistically, Enterprise have a chance. <laughs> well, or, or whatever ship they're on right now, the not Enterprise. True. Right. So now I'm enjoying it quite a bit, and I, I like the Borg more as the boogeyman that you know nothing about. One of my favorite Borg episodes of any of the series is the Enterprise episode where they have no idea what they're dealing with. I want to see in this them to somehow get those records again. You know, I want them to make reference to the Enterprise episode with the Borg. Yeah, well, they certainly could do that because they've established that uh, the Enterprise television series is in continuity for the uh, um, for the Kelvin universe. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I want to yeah. see that happen next. But I think I, boldly go. I'm sorry. I go ahead. Yeah, but I am really enjoying the book. I think the writing is solid. I like the art, and they're starting off with the Borg. Yeah, I think boldly is, goes is 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 a really nice turn for these characters. And you know, you always have that challenge. What do you? What stories can you tell uh, when you're between movies? And I, I think this is a super interesting story to tell. Though I'll tell you, they might have been better off saving this story for the films. <laughs> you know, uh, a, a, a Borg movie with this cast might have uh, have served them a little better. I know I would have gone and seen it in theaters. Yeah, yeah. So, Paul, what would you think of uh, Boldly Go number two? You know, I actually do agree with your point to say that this this probably would have been better served as a movie. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it it has the right pacing of the movies. Right. Um, you know, and th- th- so when we went to Star Trek uh, Mission in New York, yes, sir. Yeah, they had um, they had talked about a, a series that they had done um, this year, earlier this year during the summer, uh, a, 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 like a mini series, um, from IDW. And I'm looking up the name right now. Um, it is Star Trek, um, Manifest Destiny. Yes. And they had intended it to be like their big summer blockbuster film, you mm-hmm. know, basically, you know, they, it's a, a, instead of doing an adaptation of the film, they were going to do their own version of a Star Trek, uh, you know, Kelvin verse movie. And I read mm-hmm. it and quite frankly, it didn't work. Um, right. From a pacing standpoint, it was basically four episodes of action sequence. You know, it mm-hmm. didn't have the pacing of a movie, the buildup and that kind of thing. Um, whereas I feel like this does. This does have that that correct pacing and, and freak and, you know, just kind of the buildup of an action film. And I'm really enjoying the storyline. <laughs> I'm enjoying the art. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy seeing the, the cast feels right. It just feels like it's a well-done book. Yeah, it's yeah, really I, interesting that the Borg were originally supposed to be, like, one-shot villains. And people liked them so much that they brought them back. 
they is probably the only villain I can think of that came out of Next Gen that has real staying power. And they really kind of destroyed them with some of the things that they did, making getting away from the collective at all. And it seems like they've gotten that idea of, well, let's go back to what the Borg made the Borg so scary. Because right. Enterprise got it right. This book is getting it right. There's no Borg queen showing up. It's Wait. the force of nature again. I really like the Borg. I, I think they're I think they're they're a terrific villain. Uh, but you know, like any boogeyman, you shine enough light on them, they stop being as scary, right? I mean, you just continue having to raise the stakes and raise the stakes. Um, I I I really think they are effectively used when you're clever about it. Um, and sort certainly the the more clever components happened earlier on than later on. Um, you know, Voyager sort of wore them out. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I like most of those stories, but Voyager kind of wore them out as villains. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to see them here. And again, I, I think it'd make a better film than it, than it Don't get me wrong, love the comic. I just think, wow, if you're looking for a story to tell in your movies, this is probably the one. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm, and I know it's not on the list, Paul, but since you're since you're just going all insane with your bullshit today, yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, Star Trek Waypoint books have been, you know, there's only what been what two issues so far. I too, yeah. But I'm really I really am enjoying those. Um, you know, issue two came out a week or so ago. And, you know, again, one the the lead story was uh, told in that old gold key comics fashion. Mm hmm. Uh, sort of an homage to the gold key stories. And, you know, one of the great things about the gold key stories is that they were drawn those comics and had never seen a single episode of Star Trek because they were coming out at the same time that Star Trek's first season was coming out. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you had like it was like the the warp nacelles were rocket engines. So flames are coming out the back of it, that kind of thing. Uh, it's crazy. And I, and I love it. And I, 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 I love that style of the, the Star Trek storytelling just from from a nostalgic point of view. Um, I think they've really got something there. And I hope that sticks around. The, the Star Trek Waypoint's a lot of fun. I hope so, too. You know, it's, yeah. it is cost prohibitive to have a monthly five dollar book, I feel. But, yeah. you know, it is a quality book and hopefully it does well for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're just jumping around. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in, you know, since we're revisiting stories from our childhood and TV shows from our childhood, let's talk about the recent release of Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes number three. So, Paul, I, I have to say that I loves me some Tarzan. And anytime I am involved in Tarzan for, for any amount of time, I start speaking in Mangani. <laughs> <laughs> and so like this morning you know my wife's like hey would you would you like a cup of coffee i'm like yes i would i'd like it now unk, unk. she doesn't care she does not care for that at all uh, okay <laughs> she does not speak the the, the the language of my people the mangani mm. so well no, she's the yeah, enemy but, aaron you know, uh, and I know Wayne. We're gonna we're gonna try not to spoil too much for you because I know that you have not read issue th issue three yet. But uh, I love Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. I will say they spoon feed nothing to you in these books. Yeah, it, it's, uh, this is a you know for as much exposition as there is in these books. Uh huh. They still rely. They still kind of expect you to fill in a lot of blanks. Well, and in the. As much as I enjoyed the first issue, there were some things that were confusing to me because I'm like, well, that's not how that happened. 
you know, and you very much in the second issue begin to understand. And let me also say I read issues two and three back to back last night. Yes. So I did not read issue two a month ago and then issue three today. Uh, I read them the both back to back. Um, you very much understand that this is an altered history because instead of uh, Cornelius and Zira landing in 1960, late 1960s, early 1970s, uh, San Francisco, they land in uh, the 19, uh, 19th century Africa. And so, you know, Milo never gets uh, given over to the circus. Uh, and you know, raised by Ricardo Montalban, Milo is raised alongside Tarzan because you know they land in you know the Edgar Rice Burroughs verse where Tarzan is in Africa at the same time, which has ch- completely changed the history. So when you get to issue two, Tarzan has been taken back to England, and uh, there are apes as servants in England. So this is is changing the you know. 20th century story to a 19th century story, right? Or I guess a 20th century story because we're in 1907 at that at that point. But uh, it, you know, instead of a later 20th century, it's an earlier 20th century, pushing the disputes between the apes uh, stronger than uh, you know earlier than in the the films. And key point, Milo slash Caesar is not in the United States when things start heating up. He's there in Africa, so he is able to fight the humans, uh, you know, and they're slave traders uh, at the source where he's got more people, uh, where he's got a, a base of gorillas and chimpanzees and orangutans uh, to work with. So a very interesting sort of story, but that's only scraping the surface of everything that's going on in this book. Yeah, it's it it is a very story. I mean, story heavy book for as much action as there is. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm quite yeah. enjoying it. Uh, I love, it, but I think, holy crap! I mean, they they really give you nothing yeah. <laughs> in the book. You really have to kind of unwind that knot on your own. Yeah, uh, and and I appreciate that. I I truly I do. But I think there are some panels that would have benefited from you know, just a little bit of a, of an editor's box at the top telling you where and when you are, because some of that stuff is just super confusing. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so I I don't know how long the series is now that we're talking about it. It feels like there's only one more issue Yeah, based on where we're at in the story. So, um, well, there is a, there is a beautiful, uh, page in which, you know, sort of the multiverse is described. Yes. And the whole time I'm looking at that, I'm like, you know, Boom and Dark Horse. Hopefully this book is doing well for them and they want to do more books. But they just outlined all of these possibilities they can do. Because I love the idea that when Cornelius and Zero went through the time portal, you know, uh, at the end of Battle of the Planet of the Apes, I really wish that uh, they would tell some alternate history eight books that don't just center around the conflict between man and ape. Like I would love to see a science fiction planet of the apes where the planet, where the, where the apes have, you know, chilled with humanity and have gone to the stars. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could do all kinds of stories there. 
Well, isn't there... Yeah. Am I imagining this? Am, am I making this up? Isn't there a Star Trek Planet of the Apes crossover coming out? Uh, there has been. Oh, okay. uh, there was a, there was a uh, Star Trek Planet of the Apes uh, uh, crossover event. I did not think that it was nearly as effective as this one, okay. and largely because of the art. Um, you know, you had... This was taking place in the, in the events between the original Planet of the Apes and bat, uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. And um, it features around uh, Colonel right. Taylor, which was Charles Heston's character. And not I, the artwork did not work for me. I own all those books. I have not read all of those books. Yeah. I got about halfway in. It was like, man, I hate this a lot. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Now that you mentioned yeah. it, I do recall that. The one I'm thinking of is actually Green Lantern, Planet of the Apes. I have not heard of that one. Yes, it is. It is due uh, in February of next year, a six issue series, um, yeah. Green Lantern, Planet of the Apes. Huh. Well, maybe we'll get to see a, a Green Lantern uh, Cornelius. I, I believe we will. I think that's on the cover, actually. <laughs> awesome. Maybe he'll be a Hope Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, an, another Edgar Rice Burroughs creation, John Carter. Um, you know, I, I, I give John Carter books. I frequently give them a shot, the Dynamite Entertainment's John Carter books, and they just never hook me as much as I love yeah. the character and the story. Uh, but they have a new series coming out uh, from the writing team of Brian Wood and Alex Cox, Brian Wood from Northlanders. Ooh, Ooh yeah. Um, called John yeah. Carter, The End. Um, so it says the new series takes place centuries later as a war for supremacy and genocide scours across Barsoom. A brutal despot has brought the world on the brink of collapse and a search party has been sent out to find John Carter and Deja Thoris. The two have retired to a life of seclusion on a desert moon where they mourn the loss of their son. This is also due out in February. I'm down for that. Yeah, I, I would like to Brian, give that a shot. I loves me some Brian Wood. His, uh, if you've not read Northlanders, and you know, I, I have always felt like this is a, a a series that's right up Tim's alley. It's about Vikings. Mm -hmm. uh, it is so good. It is so good. And it's it's a Vertigo book, so a lot of the storytelling is very uh, alternative. You know, it's it's not standard storytelling. You know, not not told in exactly a linear fashion in certain respects. But there, the, those those stories are just fantastic. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. I'll I'll check it out when it comes out. And Green Lantern, Planet of the Apes. We'll talk more about those, I guess, in February. Um, yeah. But I thought that was an interesting story. Yeah. No, I'm I'm eager for that, and yeah, you know, I'm down for just about anything Brian Wood does. So let's talk about a book that I asked Aaron to try this week. Yes. So um, I had not I had I'd read a review for Romulus number two, which came out this week, um, and I hadn't read Romulus number one. So I asked Aaron if he'd give it a shot. It was a dollar ninety nine on Comixology, written by Brian Hill, who I'm not familiar with, um, the writer Brian Hill. But the art is by Nelson Blake, the second, who was the artist for um, the Magdalena when Ron Marsh was writing it. Right. Um, and we not Magdalena. Um, yeah, Magdalena. Or am I thinking of... Uh, no, it is Magdalena. Sorry, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, for I a think, second I had I think, it confused with the uh, the vampire book. Yeah. Oh, um, you were thinking of Shinku? I was thinking Shinku, but it's actually Magdalena. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I enjoy his art quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. And so I thought, yeah, let's give this book a shot. You know, for $1.99, let's read this first issue. So, Aaron, I'm, I'm very curious to hear what you thought of Romulus number one. I will tell you, when this book first came out, I'm always looking at the the 
the new image books. I'm, you know, I always kind of for the books that I'm not uh, already pulling, I'm always scanning for for new image titles uh, because they more often than not their first issues usually work, you know. Uh, and so when this first came out, I looked at it and I was like, ooh, I, uh, that looks really good. No, not this week, you know. And then I never came back to it. Um, from the first page, from the first panel, I was hooked. Um, I, and I'll, I'll, it, it is just the, uh, the, uh, a screaming baby girl in this panel. And it says, I'm born on a mountain dusted with snow. I'm a girl. So I get to live. And right there, I'm a girl. So I get to live. I was interested. I was like, huh? Usually it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and, and I was curious as to, as to, uh, where that was going. Um, I really knew very little about the story. You know, there's a, there is a woman with a sword on the cover, you know, uh, a, a modern attired woman. So it's not a period piece. Um, but immediately reading each panel, there is a lot of internal narrative. And I, the writer uh, has really nailed the voice. I, uh, I, I am transfixed by her internal narrative, I, less so by the dialogue in the book. Mm -hmm. It's her, it's her narrative that I find so compelling. 10 years old. I'm marked for the, for the path, the seven spheres of perfection. And then she t proceeds to tell us what those uh, spheres are. They're force, war, fury, speed, grace, pain, death. And I mean, each, each panel just continues to layer on. Um, I, I, I dug this. I it was you know there is some some secret society stuff going on here. Uh, there is uh, you know sort of nature versus science. Um, the the quest, the goal that's compelled upon her in the story is huge, and it's it's burdensome to her. Um, and there are aspects of this book that read to me like uh, one of Greg Rucka's novels. Um, that uh, that that I like so much, where it talks about how uh, you know spies and you know assassins work, and you know how they train their bodies, etc. Um, there is a panel in here that spoke to me quite a bit because it's, it's actually part of, of of my own personal belief. Uh, her mother, who trains her in this art, uh, tells her fear is a choice. And I absolutely agree with that. And so I'm I mean, I was sitting there last night going, yes, that is exactly true. We choose to be afraid. You can choose not to be terrified of a situation. Um, and it was it was it was strange to me to see something that I have felt for a very long time in my life be so plainly spoken on the page. I, I like this book a great deal. I did, too. And it's funny because, you know, I referenced Nelson Blake being the artist on Magdalena. Kind of similar concepts. Yes. Um, you know, whereas Magdalena is really kind of a religious order uh, assassin, um, this character is kind of similar, um, except from, a, you know, less Christianity and more a worship of the wolf god. Right. And so, you know, similar concepts. Uh, the art is fantastic. The story is really well told. And I, I'm definitely going to pick up issue two. I really, really enjoyed issue one. Yeah, I think... Uh Two or three episodes. Uh, uh, I think uh, the third the third issue is out now. Oh, okay. Is that right? I think it's the second. Um, um, but I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do because I, I, I thought I saw that uh, there were a couple of issues out already. Um, Image has their big year end sale uh, the week of Christmas. Oh, okay. Uh, I plan on getting caught up then. I, I I super enjoyed this book. Yeah, same here. So 
highly recommend Romulus number one. So I love all of these sales. You mentioned oh, the yeah. image has a big one coming up. Yeah. On Comixology, I did. They had uh, a bunch of Marvel collection sales recently. Mm-hmm. So I picked up pretty much every Venom miniseries from the 90s that they had on Comixology. A while back on a sale, I picked up the uh, Rise of the Midnight Suns yeah. collection. Just I love these when you can get it for like four ninety nine, an entire yeah. series. It's incredible. Yeah, the uh, they've ha- they had some really good sales during uh, you know Thanksgiving week. Uh, I picked you know when Th- when the most recent issue of Thanos came out, they had a big Thanos sale. So uh, I picked up that that Thanos Infinite comic uh, that was on sale that, that that came out around the same time as Infinity. Uh, it's terrible. I can't recommend it. <laughs> it is. It is. Wow. It's bad. Um, but you know, but, you got it cheap and you wouldn't have known for sure otherwise. Right. And I'm, like, I am less, I am less bitter about it because I didn't pay full price. Cause yeah. you know, for a while they were doing those infinite comics at 99 cents a pop. And then, you know, Marvel did them at a buck 99. Um, and so it was nice to be able to pick them up at a, at a, at the better price. But, you know, I did pick up, you know, a number of Thanos related books, including, some Ron Lim uh, Silver Surfer issues. Uh, uh, good stuff. And the, those things are hot. <laughs> um, I, I I picked up a lot. I um, you know uh, some stuff from from Secret War. The tie, some of the tie-ins that I didn't buy during Secret the most recent Secret War, hmm. um, like the Ultimates uh, Battle World books, that kind of thing. Ultimate End. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I completed my Jim Starlin Thanos collection. Uh, you know, that 12 issue run that started with Jim Starlin and then ended with Keith Giffen. Yeah. That series is fantastic. So I'm a huge Transformers fan and I've enjoyed some of the comics, but I usually don't want to spend the, the amount they cost on them. Sure. So for four ninety nine, they had a bunch of the trades. Yeah. So I did uh, Transformers purchases too. Nice. So Wayne, before we wrap up, I want to talk to you about the CWDC crossover that happened this week. No. The invasion, because uh, I think I've noted previously on the podcast that I just um, my DVR has a bunch of stuff, uh, has pretty much all the DC TV shows on it. And I've not seen anything other than season premiere of The Flash this year. Um, so I'm very curious to hear um, from you how the crossover was this week. OK, well, to start off. I'm behind on a bunch of shows, too. So I was watching some of this. Like uh, Arrow, I think I'm five, six episodes behind on. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow, I was about the same, at, you know, behind on. Uh, I'm completely caught up with Supergirl. Uh, Flash, I think I was caught up on. I think I watched, like Marathon watched it to catch up before the crossover. Uh, so I was a little behind on a couple of the shows as they came around. So I didn't know, ex- you know, there were only a few things that kind of popped up. It was like, oh, I guess that's going to happen. Uh, the Supergirl episode of it, and I think Aaron watched this one. The well, Supergirl? Yeah, I yeah. sure did. It is what I expected it to be. It's a standalone Supergirl episode that has nothing to do with the crossover until the last minute or so of the show. Yeah, and I watched it because it was part, part of the four-episode uh, crossover. I am four episodes back in Supergirl, so I was watching it out of order. Um, but I was like, you know, I'll, I'll watch this because I, I am current on Flash. 
And, uh, you know, I will, I will, but I'm not current on Arrow. Uh, unlike the rest of you guys, other than Wayne, I'm not out on Arrow. Uh, I, I, I like, uh, I like Arrow quite a bit. I just haven't had a chance to watch any of it this season. Um, uh, so, you know, that's where I am on that. But, uh, I was so frustrated that Supergirl wasn't really a crossover. Yeah. Because that, on all of the other crossover episodes, it didn't matter that I was behind on the shows. Right. I hadn't missed anything. Yeah. Except in Supergirl, if you were behind, it was a regular episode that was the next part of the show. Yeah. I mean, if you're that far behind, you probably didn't know about Cyborg Superman yet. I did, I did not. And let me just tell you that while I think Cyborg Superman works really well on the comic page, hearing somebody say, I'm Cyborg Superman, just sounds as stupid as it possibly could. Uh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that they – that it would be more effective to go with I'm the cyborg. But of course, since cyborg is, uh, going to be a member of the justice league and the justice league film, uh, that's probably why they didn't go that route. But hearing him say I'm cyborg Superman, and it's like a big point of contention for him. Cause he says it a couple of times in the episode, uh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Yeah. I'm loving but, what yeah. they're doing with Monel over there. But I, again, you Super didn't Girl's see a great show. Yeah, you didn't see any of his development if you've if you're behind. Yeah. Well, so, I've seen, like I said, I'm only four episodes back, but uh, you know, I, I've seen Monel, uh, have seen some of the Cadmus stuff, but you know, I, I enjoy Supergirl. I think she, I think it's a great show. Uh, I, the only show that I've had time to keep up with this season is The Flash, though. So my first complaint about the crossover is the Supergirl episode. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with the episode. It's just not really part of the crossover. Yeah, it's not a crossover. It's the very last moment of the show. Flash shows up and brings her into the crossover. And, you know, they really missed a great opportunity to do that earlier in the show because there is that moment where they're fighting and one of those portals, the portals have opened up in the show several times, uh, but nothing comes out. So a portal opens up over the Thanksgiving table. A portal opens up here. A portal opens up there. And Hank Henshaw, uh, the the evil Hank Henshaw, not the Hank Henshaw that John Jones impersonates, but Hank Henshaw, cyborg Superman, is beating the tar out of Supergirl. And he's like, no one's going to come and save you. And a portal opens up. Yeah, I really thought he was going to come help. Yeah, that would have been nice that, you know, Barry and Cisco come flying through the portal at that time. But no, she's on her own. Continually. Yep. So the crossover really felt disjointed. It was like each episode was its own thing. I mean, it's part of one big storyline, except for really the Supergirl episode. But it really didn't flow together very well. And each episode had completely different feels to it. Uh, I like seeing I like how they did the Dominators. I thought they looked good. I think that they had, uh, you know, they have an interesting plan coming in as they kind of go through that. It was very cool to see the characters all together. I was wondering if, you know, from a budget standpoint, what these uh, this crossover did to the shows. They've really highlighted the power difference between Supergirl and everyone else. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I'm trying to avoid any major spoilers, but there is a training scene where Ollie and uh, Barry have set up, you know, if you're going to fight aliens, we should train by fighting an alien. So it is everybody versus Supergirl. Mm. And Ali tells her, don't hold back. And uh, Barry has to remind, you know, tells her about when he trained me, he shot me with an arrow. <laughs> I loved that callback. 
but it really shows just the power level differences. Everybody going after her, and she's just not breaking a sweat, easily taking them all down. Right. But other than that, they really didn't have her do a lot. She's kind of there. She's the big powerhouse and all, but she's I, not involved too much. I think the, the, the big error they make, particularly with Flash and Supergirl, and it's something they do every episode, is that the hero arrives. And there's a great example of this in this week's episode of Supergirl. The, 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 the bad guys are about to do something. They're about to launch a rocket over the going to disperse this toxic virus, this this gas-bearing virus uh, that will kill every alien in the city, right? And instead of just immediately flying in and taking the controls out of their hands, uh, the Martian Manhunter and Supergirl land and begin to exposit. <laughs> yep. They have to pose first. Yeah, they, they stop, they pose, they exposit, the, the bad guy hits the, hits the lever, and it goes. I, I it, It's frustrating to me that characters who are super fast don't actually use the super speed to their advantage. Well, you know, know that is one thing that's really bothered me with uh, some of the Flash stuff is like uh -huh. if everyone – if you're in a situation where everyone is surrounded by people with guns but you have the Flash there. Uh-huh. Nobody they, should have a gun. Exactly. Yeah. And they do that in, this, in the crossover and it made me happy that they actually – use the speed that way but it takes ollie telling barry to do it before it happens yeah. and it's like that's something he should be picking up on by now right yeah but no i, I mean the, the flash should be running into a circumstance at super speed assessing it and then being able to set the table for the rest of the group you know exactly. i mean he, he, he the flash always wins the initiative right you know if this is a role-playing game he gets to go before everybody else <laughs> right. Uh, I just it, it bugs me. It bugs me that that Supergirl, who is also super fast, does that kind of shit. And it's just bad writing. Yeah. I and mean, because it's all about the images, the pose, right. the, all of that. Right. But yeah, cause I think the crossover had some pacing issues. I like the aliens. There were some aspects of it I really enjoyed. There was a lot of payoff from the individual storylines leading up in each of the shows, mm -hmm. except for Supergirl. Can and, I say that that I just love the comic uh, that this this crossover is based on that that Todd McFarlane uh, invasion yeah. comic? I was surprised was they stretched fantastic. so far back to get you know to get the storyline. Yeah. yeah, I love that book. It is very underrated. Uh, but and I remember when it came out, it just seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, you know, it, it didn't feel like it was promoted. It it just kind of felt like oh here, here's this big event. You know. Uh, yes. And I love that book. I, I, think, I think it holds up. Very entertaining. So there were a couple of things that were really set up in this as well. They find a way to make it easier for future crossovers. You know, a uh, yeah, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but if anyone doesn't want to hear <laughs> a major, you know, a minor spoiler, Cisco makes Supergirl a cross-dimension communicator so they can call each other if they want, and it will open the small portal for her to jump between worlds. Nice. So they basically set up any future crossover. They don't need to explain how they get her there. She can just show up. So that's obviously set up for future storylines. Uh, again, this is all a lot of Flashpoint stuff. A lot of talk about how Barry changed reality. The Arrow team and some of the other teams finally find out things that changed in their life because of him. 
Like the uh, the big one is Diggle has a son instead of a daughter, and the son is older. You find out also uh, some of the changes that have happened, not because of Flashpoint, but because of uh, the Legends of Tomorrow. That they've actually made a change in the past as well, and something is different because of that. But yeah, so overall, I enjoyed the aliens. I enjoyed the crossover. It's not as good as individual episodes of the show, I think, but I like seeing the heroes together. Uh, Supergirl was really out of place because you've got all of these heroes in a darker world that don't do, you know, they do code names, but they don't do a code name like, say, Supergirl. Right. They've never dealt with aliens or this power level before. You know, Rory specifically says... I'm not calling you Supergirl. I'll call you Skirt. (laughs) Skirt. Yeah, because he's yeah he takes one look at her. He is not doing a ridiculous name. So there's there's definitely some fun. I guess that's what I really get out of this crossover and some of the others is the fun aspect. There were serious pacing issues to it. The Supergirl episode had nothing to do with the crossover. It felt completely disjointed. But I had fun with it, and I had fun seeing the characters together again, especially uh, you know Arrow and Sarah from Legends of Tomorrow, because we haven't seen them on the screen together in a while. Well, that's great. I uh, did Sarah learn about uh, her sister being dead, or has she already learned that on on uh, Legends of Tomorrow? Uh, she knows it on Legends of Tomorrow. That's a okay. big story point over there. Okay. Interesting. Well, I'm gonna watch the I'm gonna watch the rest of it, but I just got so disheartened by the Supergirl episode that I uh, I went ahead and watched Walking Dead instead. <laughs> yeah, there are moments in it where I'm wondering, it's like, where's Flash and Supergirl? Right. When you're watching like the Arrow episode, it's like, where? Why aren't they there with everyone else? And the answer, of course, is probably because things would be too easy if you had a superpowered person there. Right. But still, it's I'd like that explanation. Well, cool. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, a couple things are coming out next week. Nothing too fancy. But what I do want to bring up is as we come into the holidays, um, we have talked uh, quite a bit over these last couple of months about DC Rebirth. And if you have a comic fan in your life that's on the fence or, you know, you want to bring someone into the DC Rebirth um, universe, DC Rebirth Omnibus Volume 1 comes out next week collecting all the Rebirth issues. All those rebirth one shots leading into the new, you know, the new continuity of DC. Um, cover price is seventy five bucks, but you can get it for fifty two bucks on uh, Amazon. Um, but it collects quite a number of books, um, so I, I think it's it's a good value regardless. But that comes out next week, as well as new issues of books like Superman and Wonder Woman and a couple of other things. Hmm. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Sounds good. And uh, one thing I do want to mention is that if you haven't gotten them already, Rogue One tickets are on sale now. They went on sale earlier this week. Get your Star Wars Ooh. Rogue One tickets now. I am, I am off on, Dece- I am I am off on so December 16th. You know, I'm looking forward to that. And also, have you guys seen the trailer for Passengers? Yeah, I don't know about that one. I is think that it looks the... really good. It's the Chris Pratt movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that does look good to me as well. Yeah, I don't know. I'll wait for the reviews. Yeah, whatevs. Whatevs. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. All right. Well, you guys have a good week. All right. Catch you later. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. 
Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of IdeologyofMadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.